And good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to FSU Coach Live. My name is Tim Baghurst, and I'm joined this afternoon by Coke Matthews. He is the head swimming and diving coach at Henderson State University, somebody I knew many years ago as I was a former employee there at Henderson State. So, Coke, thank you for joining me. If you wouldn't mind, just give us a little bit of an overview of your, your coaching career. Uh, it doesn't seem that long, but <laughs> I've been... Uh, and it doesn't seem like that long since you left here. It really wasn't that long many years ago. Um, I guess about eight, but um, been, this is the end of my 38th year here at Henderson. I started out as an age group coach in Houston at my old club team when I graduated from the University of Arkansas in uh, December of 1977. Um, club coach there and at a different club we actually lost our facility and then we uh, a group of parents had living in a certain subdivision about 20 minutes away they built a pool we moved out there started a new club and we were there for four years and then uh, the owner of that uh, developer of that subdivision decided he didn't <laughs> didn't want a team there anymore didn't want that we had a high school team a club team it was I mean, it was going really well, and he decided just to pull the plug on it. We were, it was going really well. The high school team was doing well. Club team was doing well. We were competing all over the country and just said, okay, that's enough. And so then I started looking for jobs and ended up with three offers. Um, I won't go into details, but one was um, in Austin, Texas. Uh, with Eddie Reese at the University of Texas, um, GA and a club coach there. Uh, Texas A&M with Mel Nash there would have been uh, one of his, actually a volunteer assistant, but head age group coach. Uh, and then um, and then there was Henderson State University, a little small school in Arkansas that I didn't even know existed. Um, but Sam Freeze, who's an, an icon in, in the world of uh, swimming coaches, coaches and uh, great one of the world renowned sprint coaches. Uh, he called me and said, Hey, you need to check this out. It's, he said, it's a diamond in the rough. He said, you need to go gave me the contact information, uh, Mickey O'Quinn. And I called him, we set up a, a, a time to visit and, and I came out here and just kind of fell in love with the place and, um, ended up with four part-time jobs. <laughs> I was part-time at the college, part-time at the high school, part-time age group coach, and part-time uh, city pool manager. And that was in uh, 1982. Moved here in October of 1982 and planned on you know, having a few good years here and then uh, jumping on to bigger bigger and better things um, and uh, kind of liked it here <laughs> you know met my wife here and got got just kind of got settled into the community and into the school and um, had a couple other job offers over the years but it was like mm, I like it what 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 made you decide to come to somewhere like Henderson, which I, I'm sure a lot of people won't know Henderson State, but it's in a, a small town, 
in, in rural Arkansas when you, you, you come somewhere like there, but you have offers to go to, to major schools, maybe not as a head coach, but certainly puts you on the platform for training to, you know, be one of those head coaches one day at a big school. What was the rationale for going to to a smaller school like like Henderson? Yeah, it was it was a it was a pretty tough decision, but um, all in all, I, there was kind of a gut feeling, really, that uh, I mean, I felt like I had a lot of recruiting contacts that I could make for for kids that that you know that would be good NAI Division two Division three type swimmers that wouldn't get the opportunity to swim Division one, and that's where I would have been. If I'd have known this kind of, uh, I mean, an, an opportunity existed, um, I wouldn't have gone probably to the University of Arkansas and tried to swim Division One because I was pretty average uh, swimmer as far as Division One swimming went. But on Division Two or NAI level, um, probably could have <laughs> had a little more success, and so it, it kind of. Um, that opportunity to really try to build something here uh, on that level where I really felt pretty comfortable and, um, and and really deep down inside just kind of felt like this this might be the place where God wanted me. And, uh, uh, maybe, right. maybe that was right after 38 years. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Coke Matthews. And if you have a question for him, just put it in your chat box and, and we'll get it to him during this discussion. So let's talk about that. You've been 38 years in one place. You mentioned you had job offers. No surprise there. You've, you've been quite successful at Henderson. What, what causes you to stay in one place when those job offers come in? Because normally a job offer doesn't come in and say, hey, we'll pay you less money or our program's worse than yours or our facilities aren't very great normally those offers come in, they're attractive. How do you measure a way staying versus a new opportunity and a chance to, to do something new? Yeah, the, the, the first time I really started looking for another job was uh, 1990, I believe it was. Um, I was still part-time mm. here at Henderson and um, as you know, they kept telling me the administration and my boss kept saying, well, we can't put you on full time. You don't have your master's. And it's like, well, I don't have time to get my master's because I'm doing so much coaching and recruiting and coaching the high school team, coaching, you know, and the age group team. And, you know, when am I going to have time to get my master's? And besides, I'm not teaching any academic courses that you need a master's degree to teach. I mean, I'm right. teaching life fit and I'm teaching beginning swimming. And at the time just started teaching, you know, water safety and lifeguarding. And it's like, what, you know, <laughs> why do I need a master's to do those things? Oh, you just do, that is, you just do. And so I said, okay, well, I'm gonna go start looking for another job. And, and uh, so I did, it was back in Houston, uh, where I was originally from and had, had swum there and coached there at a huge club. Um, it was out in the NASA area. And when I went and, and uh, interviewed, it was at one of the astronauts' homes. And there were a couple of different astronauts on the 
swim team board and it was really it was kind of cool um and so they offered me the job i would have had five pools over 300 swimmers um four or five assistant coaches i could have an assistant coach at each pool um it was really you know a good retirement package i mean it was a it was a good offer and it was it was a place that i was familiar with and so why'd you say no well i came back here and i sat down with my ad um and i told him about the offer and he the first thing he said was well why don't we put you on full time <laughs> and i thought well uh let's see what that looks like and so they said they would hire me full time and uh Cause I, and, it, and then it was like, I don't do, I really want to leave. I really, I really like it here. And if I'm full time now, I, maybe I can afford to live here. Um, and I met my wife here and we had been married about five years at the time and still didn't have kids yet, but, um, but it, you know, cause I, I mean, I really, I really enjoyed it and I was comfortable and, um, you know, the, with the stress level of having 300 swimmers under you with having five assistant coaches and, you know, and, and a parent board, you know, having to answer to a lot of parents that was cause I've been there before, although I didn't have a bad experience before because we had a, a really good, uh, parent group at the old club that I had, I'm still in touch with a lot of them. 38 years later and a lot of the kids that swam for me 38 years ago I'm still uh, because of social media I have reconnected with a lot of these people and 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 talk to several of them all the time and it's it's really pretty cool we even had a reunion last year do you think I'm, I'm curious how you feel about this this idea and, and we see it a lot especially in universities but you know we're, we're going to keep coke at, at part-time oh you're leaving well let's now look at your contract as opposed to you know i'm an athletic director somebody in my in my program is doing a great job and so i want to keep them and i'm going to incentivize them to stay as opposed to okay when you threaten to leave now we'll talk about your salary it's an interesting dynamic in, in academics and sports and academics yeah, it, it was. And, and I think a lot of that was um, the athletic director at the time did not understand swimming. Um, the athletic director who hired me did, but his hands were kind of tied. Um, the administration didn't understand swimming. Um, on the other hand, um, the athletic director we have now is different. I mean, he's really good. I mean, I think uh, it would be a little bit different. Um, he seems to be more of a rewarder and wanting to keep his people and nurture his people. And, and, and it's a, it's a different situation now, but, but every uh, administration and AD and, and it's kind of been that way um, as far as, well, you know, let's get the most out of them that we can. Uh, for as little as we can, and then hey, if they want to jump, they can jump. It's 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 different now with the and it has been for the last six years or so with with the new AD and and some of the 
Uh, and leadership has kind of been changing uh, as far as the school administration. That's a whole other story. Yeah, yeah. But, um, well, you've you've been you've been there thirty eight years. You're starting your thirty ninth year. You've you've obviously seen a lot of athletes come and go. You've seen a lot of coaches, assistant coaches, come and go, uh, and athletic directors as well, as you kind of inferred. And I'm curious in in an age where you know, coaches tend to, to move around quite a lot, don't tend to stay in one place for a long duration. What, what is kind of the, the secret to your longevity? And, and I'm not just talking about you choosing to stay there, but also, you know, not getting fired. And, and I was on a, a chat interview a, a couple of weeks ago with somebody and, and they were just talking about when, when you get hired, it's, it's kind of the, the start of your firing to some extent, because you know, at some point you're going to be let go and you're going to have to move on yet. You haven't done that. So I'm curious what, what almost is the, the secret to, to that longevity? Um, well, I, I think a lot of it is, is just, you know, you, you care about your athletes. Um, you're always trying to do the right thing where, where they're concerned. You, you care about, um, what others think about the job that you're doing and you're always trying to uh, to perform because as an athlete you're a performer and i think as a coach you're also a performer and, and if your performance uh is not up to par then yeah i mean you you can expect you know to be let go and so i'm you know hopefully um you know by God's grace and wisdom that I ask for every day, I ask for his wisdom every day to use, you know, whatever knowledge that I can gain in my sport and knowledge about individuals and how to work with them and uh, on a personal level and in a group setting and, uh, you know, implement, you know, because the Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously beyond, without reproach. Uh, as long as we don't ask doubting. And so, I mean, we can't doubt, uh, we can't waver. And so if, when we ask for that, we can be assured that he's going to give it to us. And, uh, certainly there are times when I haven't listened to him and I've made mistakes, but fortunately <laughs> those mistakes have cost me my job. Um, so uh, anyway, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask then, you know, you, you don't always have, you, you can't always have super successful years, right? You, you can't always have the all Americans just pouring out of your program. And, and, you know, there's, there's highs and, and lows there's, there's lulls. Uh, when, when we're talking about division two, as, as you kind of alluded to, you're, you're not looking for those swimmers that are going to necessarily be going to the Olympics or the, the national championships. And, Yes, yeah, sometimes it might happen, but it's it's not not a regular occurrence. So when I when you look at recruiting, how do you determine who to recruit? Because you obviously want the best, you know, the the fastest swimmers, but also recognizing if you go for the fastest swimmers, chances are they're going to be going to Division One. So how do you how do you find the athlete that fits Division Two that is also fast and maybe faster than than, than what most division two swimmers are. It's, it's that tricky paradox, isn't it? 
Well, it it is, but there are so many out there, and and we're in today's world. There's so many recruiting uh, platforms and and so many agencies out there. There's just we get we're we're just bombarded with with kids, and then kids on their own. They're sending emails and pers prospectus in, and it's. Um, so you really kind of just start out filtering them by, you know, who who's a good who's a good fit time-wise, who's a good fit academically, you know, because uh, you know what's their what's their test score, what's their GPA, because we don't want to bring them in if if we feel like they're not going to be successful academically, then uh, you know they they become a uh, a drain on the coaching staff as well as as on the team and. And it's it's hard, you know, to try to help them. Um, I mean, we've had plenty of kids who have come in that were academically shaky on the beginning and ended up getting degrees in four years and going on and having very successful uh, careers. And, and so sometimes you have to look at that and say, GPA is okay, test score or not. Anyway, you're right. It's a it's a juggling act. You you. Uh, um, you have to really look at those and kind of filter, try to filter some out. But we try not to filter out a lot of kids initially. We try to, you know, have a big pool of recruits and then slowly but surely uh, they're going to have several opportunities, you know. And so you may have a pool of, of 50 or 60 to start with. And then after a short period of time, all of a sudden that 50 or 60 becomes 30. Then you get another 20 and then so it is, recruiting is it's a huge roller coaster and but you can tell after you've visited with a kid a couple of times if they're really interested and you can kind of tell if their personality is going to fit in with the size of school and the community and and with the team that you've already got and um my assistant coach right now he's uh, been with me for three years and that's one of uh, the reasons the school finally gave me an assistant coach was to help with recruiting because we, we need to get more students as every school needs now more enrollment and generally speaking the swim team was bringing in good kids academically so they were making their grades they were they were doing a good job in the water and in the classroom and so it felt like the, you know the more kids we could get who could make it in the classroom and make it in their athletics um, would definitely benefit the school and so anyway his name's Wally Center and he's a he's a very good recruiter also and so the two of us working together were uh, in it's it's been a really good thing over the last three years. Are, are you are you then suggesting that um, your your team doesn't have scholarships for everybody, right? Right. So the university is seeing your program as an opportunity to bring in athletes, not necessarily on scholarship, which then provides the university with tuition dollars. Therefore, your program becomes a valuable asset to the university. Is that kind of the the argument there 
Exactly. I mean, that's that's definitely part of it. I mean, we're I mean, we have some scholarship money that can really help us bring in kids, but uh, we also are out there looking for kids who qualify for academic scholarships who are going to do a good job in the classroom. And because we certainly um, are not fully funded to the NCAA maximum so that we we don't have uh, the funds that that some other schools do uh, to recruit swimmers. So definitely we're um, and most of our sports, you know, most sports on a small, small school scale are, are bringing in athletes that have to pay at least part of their tuition room and board, if not uh, 90% to all of it. Do you have any, any kind of system for, for divvying out scholarships? How do you decide who gets scholarships or who gets partial, partial scholarships? What's the, do you have a system that, that you use? Yeah, we um, we have time standards and uh, test scores and GPAs that we use that we we go into and and we say, okay, a kid that's this fast can walk on. A kid that's this fast can qualify for um, a small amount of money, but if they're gonna qualify for a larger amount of money, then they've got to be this fast. They've basically got to be able to make a national time standard um, to get uh, an exceptional amount of money. Um, so yeah, we, we have kind of a, a system that, that Wally and I have developed. Uh, in the past, you know, when it was just myself, um, I didn't have any specific standards but I would just kind of use my gut again to, to say, okay, this kid's really good. He's going to get a lot better. Um, I think, and then I would look at the other schools that are recruiting him and know anyway, you um, kind of go through a lot of different scenarios and then say, okay, well, I think this kid is worth this much money and we would make that offer and, uh, and so forth. Now it's a little more objective. Mm. It was much more subjective when I was doing it on my own now. Uh, Wally and I have come up with more of a, uh, an objective uh, platform in order to, to uh, make offers. Talk a little bit about budgets because, you know, if we, if we look at somewhere like the University of Arkansas, where, where you came from and, and I graduated from, the, the swimming and diving team has, has a little bit more resources than maybe a Henderson State. And so there's there's a challenge there, particularly for you as head coach, to to balance the budget, and and you're not going to get a vast amount from the university. So what strategies do you have to kind of pay for, you, you know, equipment, recruiting, you know, traveling team, food, hotel, all of the things that that you have to cover as a a major team. <laughs> you beg. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, I've developed a lot of relationships around the community and we um, offer swim times where uh, a lot of the people in the community make donations. Um, we have several different fundraisers that we do every year and it's been this way ever since I've been here that, you know, there's never, there's never enough um, to go around for all the sports and all sports, you know, on a uh, a level like we are in Division Two, or used to be NAI, you know, you, you've got to raise money. Um, it's just the, the nature of the beast, so to speak. So, 
you know, I've developed, and plus our alumni, we have several alums who uh, give quite a bit each year. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if we want certain things now, um, again, over the years, um, our budgets were really tight, really small, and, and, and I had to raise a lot of money, and I still have to raise and, and, and can raise a lot of money, but budgets have gotten a lot better, again, with uh, our new athletic director who's been here six years now. I mean, budgets are so much better than they were. Of course, with COVID, you know, everything's going to be <laughs> everything's shrinking back because enrollments are going to be down, et cetera, et cetera, but, but still. Um, what are not, bad, like not nearly as bad as, as what they were 15 years ago, 10 years ago. You, you've seen a lot of a lot of things in swimming and in coaching over the years, and uh, you know I'm, I'm not necessarily asking you to pinpoint specific examples, but but what are some of the the challenges that you've you've seen or experienced as a coach, can you, can you give maybe, well, maybe you can give one or two examples just to give some realities of coaching, because as you and I talked about before the, the stream started, sometimes there's this misconception about what coaching is. Uh, you know, a lot of people maybe just think it's, it's you by the pool during an event and, you know, job's done, you go home and that's the end of it. Uh, we, you and I both know that isn't true. And so if you wouldn't mind, just, just share a little bit about, you know, what it's really like being a coach and, and what are some of the challenges? Well, one of, one of our biggest rules is, is uh, and probably rule number one is don't be stupid. Well, <laughs> as you know, 18 to 20 year old kids can do some, and I tell, I try to preface this by saying, you know, none of you are stupid. You wouldn't be in college don't be doing stupid things, you know? And so a lot of times they don't understand and they'll do, you know, some of the kids will do something really stupid and really silly and really, you know, and it puts a bad light on me and the entire program and the entire university. You know, they, they think that any of their, and all of their actions only represent themselves. And, uh, so, you know, over the years, you know, and we've had some years where, you know, the kids have been pretty smart and they've taken care of their business and they've gone, you know, gone to class and, and not been stupid, but there's always, uh, you know, most years it's, it's just dealing with kids being kids and some of them, some of the situations that I, I won't go into um, you know, a couple of them over the years have been not very good. You know, that uh, uh, one of my former assistants uh, gave me a, a sheet of paper, it's about this big, and it's got stress relief kit on it. And it's taped on the wall out on the deck. And it says, there's a circle and underneath it's stress relief kit. It says, bang head here. <laughs> so there's there's a few days when I have to you know use that stress relief kit and bang my head against the wall and um, you know and and there's you're always when you're dealing with a group of people there you have so many different personalities and so many uh, 
different things that are important, different priorities, and, um, and, and as hard as you try to fit everybody into this mold and give them their goals and tell them, you know, to be successful, you got to do this, this, and this, you know, so many of them goes in this ear, out that ear, and, you know, then 20 years later, whether they graduated or not, but if they swam for you for more than two years, you know, 20 years later, a lot of them come up to you and say, yeah, coach, I get it now. <laughs> I get it now. And I'm sorry I put you through all that stress when I was here. Um, I've had a few kids who <laughs> have come to me and said that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, a lot of it's, you know, they're not going to do what you say. They're not. They're, and one of the biggest uh, stresses or stressors is as soon as you explain something to the group, no matter how big the group or small the group, as soon as you explain something and say, okay, everybody got it? Okay, good. Then you say, okay, on, on the top, we're all going to go at the same time. And on the top means like on the, when you have a clock, you know, moving and it gets to the top. On the top, everybody go. And then somebody asks you the exact question you just answered. You know, it's like, or oh, there's always somebody over here talking while you're talking. They're all, and, and they're the ones that are asking the questions. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it, it's just small annoyances every day that end up becoming big. Um, all right. So how, how do you as a coach deal with the, the stressors? Because, you know, it's, it's a big topic right now, stress in coaching and, and burnout in coaches. And I think the average duration of a coach is about three years. You've obviously well exceeded that. Uh, how do you, how do you deal with those things where, you know, it is bang your head against the wall here? How do you, how do you cope with those situations? Do you have any strategies? Do you do anything to help de-stress? Pray, pray a lot, pray every day, pray before practice, pray after practice, pray, you know, talk to God, talk to, I mean, he's the only one who can truly give me and any of us true peace. Um, so, you know, no matter how stressful the day becomes, um, knowing that he loves me, he has my best interest and the best interests of whoever is giving me a hard time at the time, uh, their best interest. And, and as I go through that time with the Lord and then he can show me, you know, some of the things that may be important to that person and how um, he can give me the, the patience and the peace to deal with it that, um, you know, when I, when I can take myself out of the equation and put that, that person's best interest at heart. Um, and then eventually, I mean, we had a kid this year who every day in practice, you know, he's the fastest kid on the team, but every day in practice gave me, I mean, we butted heads, butted heads, butted heads. And then toward the end of the year, 
toward the end of the year, finally, we had an understanding. And if I can say this, he came to, he came to the Lord and his total personality changed. He apologized for everything he did. Now, even though because of certain situations, not because of swimming or anything that we did, but because of certain situations with his potential career and family and he's, he, where he's from and he's not from the States and he's not coming back, but we left very close. We, we, when he left, we became very close and, and a lot of the athletes, they saw his demeanor completely change. And, and now I talk to him once or twice a week, even though, you know, I know he's not going to come back, but now we, we've become very close and I talk to him and I, I text him every day and, um, and, uh, and he's growing in other ways now personally that I can mentor him in, in other ways and, and not in swimming. Um, so all of that, that we went through all this year. Now I look back and say that was all worth it. That was all worth it because of who he is now. If if I can just kind of get you to think globally, and in you know the, the people who watch this are either those who are coaches or, or working in sports, or those interested in becoming coaches. And, and I'm curious, given your experiences and and longevity in one place. What, what advice would you have for, for those who are looking to get into the coaching profession or, you know, improve as coaches uh, where they currently are? Um, when, the, when the athletes get upset with something that's going on, um, like I say on the pool deck or in on the field or get upset with their coaches. Um, uh, if you know, realize that there's something deeper, you know, that, that it's not, you know, Hey, I'm mad at the coach because of this, you know, that's a symptom of something that's going on deeper. And so, so the, the best thing that I think that you can do or, that a coach can do is, is to step back. Don't confront the individual, you know, on the field or on the pool deck or, or on the track or, or wherever you are in the gym. Um, step back, move on to another athlete um, and, and deal with something positive and then sit down and visit and try to get to know that individual more and what's important to that individual and what their priorities are and all which is um instead of just trying to which i've done many times just try to stand my ground and say yes you will you will do this you, you know and um and then you know you, you end up butting heads and it's not a good situation although the one this year and, and several others over the years have, have turned out being very good situations um so, you know, you've got to realize that sometimes when, if a player attacks a coach verbally, um, that's a symptom. That's, that's not really what's going on. And that's, that's something that has to be dealt with 
in another place once both parties cool down. And so um, when you can do that, which sometimes I have a hard time doing, <laughs> but we, if you can do that, you'll eliminate stress, you'll eliminate their stressors, your stressors. You can sit down and really try to find out what's going on within that individual and, and uh, that no matter where they're from because we guys we've had kids from all over the world uh, these kids are the same and uh, it's just languages are different so sometimes there is a language barrier but usually you can get past that um, and it's the old saying it's the old saying that comes back all the time it doesn't matter what you know. Nobody cares what you know until they know you care. So, if if um, just to, to to wrap up, if somebody does have a question, you know, watching it probably in future, if what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, probably email. I, I'm constantly checking my email and, and try to get back to people as soon as possible. And and for those of you who might be listening to the podcast, that's M-A-T-T-H-E-C at hsu.edu. Well, Coach, thank you very much for taking the time to, to have a conversation with me and, and sharing a little bit of your expertise and wisdom and uh, really do appreciate it. Tim, it's good to talk to you again. And uh, you remember the race we did together? I still have the picture of you on the podium. <laughs> Tim and I did. A, Tim and I trained together for a little while. Did a did the sprint triathlon out here at, at Lake DeGray, and uh, and uh, it was a very short training period. It wasn't very long that we were able to, to train, but you got you got ready in a hurry and had a had a good race. That was a lot of fun. It was. It was well. Fun is a loose term for a triathlon. <laughs> um, it was it was pretty brutal on my part. I suffered a lot. You were way ahead of me, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, thanks again for joining me. And of course, thank you everybody for watching. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel or Facebook or wherever you watch these videos. And of course, don't forget, we have a podcast of these. So if you, you like going for a, tri a, a training for a triathlon, need some, something to listen to and learn from, make sure you find the podcast as well. But on behalf of myself, Tim Baggers and of course, Coach Cook Matthews, thank you so much for watching.